Hi everyone and welcome to Her Story episode 5. This is your host Cassidy Reed. Today on the show we have my good friend Christina. Christina is a tubist and she is a current student at the Curtis Institute of Music. Christina and I in this episode talk about being a female tubist. We talk about being female brass players. We talk about her experiences at school and living in many different countries, and we also talk a little bit about symphony orchestras and some roots for positive change. So if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you like and share the episode on SoundCloud, and also please make sure you're visiting our website and emailing us if you have any comments, questions, or you would like to be a guest on the show. Our email is musicherstorypod at gmail.com. Thank you. Hi, my name is Christina Katz-Dockerty, and I'm a tuba player. I'm currently the tuba student at the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia, and I just completed my bachelor's degree at the Colburn School in Los Angeles. Woo! Yay! (laughs) I'm so excited to have you on. It's been a while since we had a chance to chat and catch up, and I'm, I'm really excited that you're here and that you're talking about your experiences today. One of the biggest things that makes you as a person so interesting to me is that you've lived in so many different places. For you developing as a tubist, how has living in different countries affected your musical growth? Well, the thing about that is actually that I didn't get serious about tuba until kind of late in my life. I only started practicing around the age of 15 when I was at Interlochen Arts Academy. But before that, I definitely, I definitely loved music. And from an early age, you know, I was sort of compelled by music. One of my earliest memories, actually, is being in South Africa as a child. And my mother would sort out these Wednesday afternoon classes for me and my siblings and some of our friends. And there were music classes and we would learn like South African songs and gumboot dancing and all sorts of fun stuff like that. So very early on in my life, it was, you know, ingrained in me that music was something fun and communal. And yeah, I think I just definitely took that energy with me wherever I went. And yeah, I mean, actually in school, moving around, I guess the interesting thing about the tuba when you're in school is that you often don't need to own your own instrument so you mm-hmm. show up to school with just your mouthpiece and yeah. it makes it like the most actually weirdly the most appealing instrument for someone who's moving around because you don't have to carry anything with you yeah. so i guess that probably played a role you know i i, I definitely played tuba at at least four different schools <laughs> when i was little so yeah That's amazing. So you talk about, you know, how portable it is just to carry around your mouthpiece, but why, do you have another reason why you chose the tuba? What what drew you to that instrument? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's it's kind of a weird 
story it's kind of you wouldn't expect it but I was we were living in Ithaca New York at the time and I have an older sister who is three years older than me mm -hmm. and she had been playing the trombone in band and then her band teacher really needed tuba players and looked at her and decided that she would be good for it so she was kind of asked slash forced to play the tuba and me being a little baby who was obsessed with my sister, I was like, I'm going to do that too. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I, I actually just chose it because of her, but I also do remember sort of subconsciously thinking, oh, I want to be different. And, and so in the back of my mind, I, I was kind of choosing between percussion or tuba or like bass because I knew that those were all sort of like boy instruments. And I, mm. I don't know, at an early age, I think I... I just wanted to be different and special, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I had the same the same experience. I was a, a rebel from a young age, and I was yeah. not going to conform to what society wanted me to conform to. <laughs> yeah, yeah I definitely feel that. So growing up and playing the tuba and everything, were, were you the only in your section, or did you have a section of tuba players growing up? I don't really remember having a section of tuba players. I did have... My band director in sixth grade in Ithaca, New York, was a tuba player, and so he definitely helped me and he gave me a lot of private lessons and special attention, and I got to sort of play with the higher bands when I knew nothing about the tuba because of that. And so that really helped, but I definitely, I didn't really develop camaraderie with, with those people, actually until I got to Interlochen. I was very much saturated with like being part of the pretty girl squads in school <laughs> and like just pettiness and and all of that I got very wrapped up in in that so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no that's okay it's like every middle schooler ever it's right it's fine. yeah what drew you to interlocking so actually it goes back to the the pettiness that I just talked about because um we were living in Albuquerque New Mexico and mm -hmm my mother noticed me not being the child that she raised <laughs> and noticed me, you know, hanging out with these really superficial girls who just weren't the best influence on me. And so that in combination with my dad not being super happy in his job led us to think, okay, like we should move or led them to think we should move. And since my family's very comfortable with moving, that wasn't too big of a deal. Yeah. What happened, weirdly, my dad is a fundraiser, and Interlochen had an opening for a fundraiser, and I vaguely was interested in growing up to be a band director at that time, like super vaguely, you know. And so I auditioned for the Academy, and my dad had his job interview in the same weekend, and we both got in, although I think I was accepted kind of reluctantly on my teacher's part because he didn't think I was very good. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, my dad made a huge sacrifice for me and they moved to the middle of nowhere in Michigan and I was able to go without paying too much tuition because of that. And yeah, it just changed my life completely. How were your experiences at Interlochen when you were a student? Were they mainly positive, negative? Was there a mix? It was really positive for me. I had never felt like more myself than when I was there. Mm -hmm. I met... 
I met this girl who was a trombonist. Her name is Dana Nelson, and she just instantly became my best friend, even though she was someone that when I first met her, I felt like, you know, she was too dorky for me or whatever. But <laughs> she she just embraced me and welcomed me into this community of like thinking about orchestra and low brass and just being okay with being a dork and being okay with being really passionate about something and so she kind of taught me that and actually it was her it was her dream to go to Colburn and Mm. so I found out about Colburn through her and yeah I mean I just really threw myself into practicing and into identifying as a tuba player which was something that I had never done before so yeah it was really good for me so growing up and being in that environment and everything did you have professional female tuba players or low brass players that you looked up to growing up and what did you listen to you know have a concept of there is this community out there it's not just me honestly I I didn't know very much about classical music or about brass playing again until I got to Interlochen and when I got there, there definitely was the legacy of Carol Yonch, who graduated from there and, you know, became the first, one of the first tuba players to have a job in an orchestra who was a woman. <laughs> Total and, badass. Total yeah, badass. Yeah. So, you know, she was, she was kind of ubiquitous around Interlochen as a reference and as someone that, you know, people would talk to me about because... Obviously, they felt that I resembled her just because I'm a woman, (laughs) Um, which is fine and great, and I'm honored. But (laughs) yeah, so she, I definitely was watching videos of her while I was there, but I didn't really have too many role models except, I mean, honestly, I would say that she was my role model and my friend Dana was my role model because she was a year older than me. Yeah. That's about all I needed to be inspired. So you left Interlochen, you went to Colburn. Why did you choose Colburn as your undergraduate school? Sometimes I question that too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I honestly don't know. It kind of feels like it happened to me and I'm super grateful that it did. But I do, I just remember, you know, going into my senior year at Interlochen, I didn't anticipate going to a conservatory and I felt like I would go to a university and do a double major you know maybe like international relations or mm-hmm. something like interesting like the people in my family tend to do yeah <laughs> and so I applied to a bunch of universities and then a friend of mine said hey Christina you know there are openings at the Curtis Institute and the Colburn School and those are both free schools And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, but I don't know what those schools are. Like, I'd never heard of either of them except for from my friend about Colburn. So I just applied to both of them arbitrarily because I was like, free school sounds nice. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I got into Colburn and once I got in, it kind of didn't feel like there was a choice because it was like, am I going to pay for school or am I going to go somewhere that is like, I guess, prestigious and, you know, free. And, and so, free. <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't know anything about it, really. I didn't, I didn't really have a relationship with my teacher there. And I just kind of dove in. And I do remember thinking in my freshman year, like, when did I decide that I was just only going to be a tuba player? Because I don't remember deciding that. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Life just kind of worked its way out for you. Yeah, it just happened. And yeah. I'm like, 
put it in. <laughs> That's okay. I, I have the same thing. My my school, I went to a a college fair and it was actually at Eastman where I'm going now, but because I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and I went to their college fair and I just walked past a booth that said Baldwin Wallace Conservatory on it and never heard of it. I mean, it's a small school, it's not big at all. And someone stopped me and said, hey, if you take this flyer, you can apply to the school for free. And I was like, okay, for free, great. (laughs) And so I just, you know, I applied and I was in the hour radius of not having to travel to auditions. So I went to all of my other auditions in person and I still didn't know about this school. So I said, oh, what the hell, I'll send a tape. So I sent it a tape. And then not only do I get into that school but that school ended up being like nothing it was basically free for me to go there and that ended up being the school I went to I I didn't go even to visit it until a few weeks before (laughs) I was supposed to make my decision so it kind of just fell in my lap and I had been set on going to some other schools and I was super interested in them and you know I auditioned I got in but when the money started talking and, you know, my parents started talking to me about money, that's when, that's what kind of made the decision for me. Yeah. And I got, I got very lucky because I ended up having a really good relationship with my teacher and everything, but yeah, it kind of just fell in my lap. Yeah. It's amazing. Amazing how that stuff happens. Yeah. It's like fate. Mm-hmm. When you are at Colburn, how is your relationship with your teacher? It was good. He is an older gentleman. Um, his name is Norm Pearson. He's been in the LA Phil for many years. I don't know exactly how many, not off the top of my head. But yeah, so just a wealth of experience. He was a very sort of backseat teacher, as in he would let me do kind of whatever I wanted, mm. <laughs> which I look back on and I realized that it's it was really good for me because I am someone who likes to take things into my own hands and likes to just kind of do my own thing. And I did have a great worth, work ethic because I was passionate about practicing and, and getting better. So for me, it worked out, I think, quite well because I ended up learning, you know, how to teach myself and how to choose repertoire that I wanted to play. And he was just there, like, willing to listen to anything that I brought. And he would never necessarily tell me what to do. And so, yeah, I mean, it has its pros and cons, but I think ultimately for me, it was actually a place where I could grow and sort of, like, be creative in a really unique way. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. And I was doing an interview yesterday and we were talking about how some teachers tend to have a cookie cutter way that they approach their students and that they're not really specializing instruction for every individual kid. They're just kind of like, this is my way of doing things. You're going to do it this way if you don't like it too bad. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool that he let you kind of do your own thing and explore who you are and who you are as a tuba player as well. That's amazing. Yeah, it was it was great. And I mean, Colburn is a place that just has so many phenomenal young artists. And so, you know, there's there are opportunities to learn all around you, like just hearing Mm -hmm. hearing your peers perform and being just, you know, having your draw drop to the floor is is enough to get you going. You know, you don't necessarily need someone telling you what etudes to play. (laughs) Yeah. So while you were there, you were also principal tuba 
of the American Youth Symphony. So how was that experience for you? That was good. Um, it's a it's a great organization. It draws players from all around LA. And yeah, I mean, it was just nice for me to have an opportunity to play more orchestral repertoire because at the conservatory, we had two tuba players and so we had to split up all the concerts. And two isn't very many, but sometimes it felt like, you know, we were fighting over which concerts we wanted to play. So it was definitely a great a great place to have more orchestral playing. When you were talking about the community at Colburn, what was your relationship like with your peers? Because obviously you said there's only one other tuba player, so you were obviously interacting with a lot more people than just your other tuba friends, so. Yeah, it was up and down, really. It was, it's really interesting because Colburn is very heavily swayed toward older students like master's students Mm -hmm. and so coming in as a 17 year old you know the next oldest person in the brass studio during my freshman year was 22 or something and so I you know I was just like this child compared to everyone else and all of them were taking auditions and really serious and you know I, I felt I felt really small and my freshman class was nine people so we just went through we kind of went through the experience together as a unit the nine of us every class was just the nine of us and we would hang out together uh, especially in the first year it was it was really nice to to have them but it also sometimes felt you know like we're the odd ones out but yeah I mean it really it really just fluctuated and I think it was good for me always been young for you know my place in school I I actually skipped kindergarten Mm -hmm. so which is really random and strange and it was just a result of moving a lot but so I was always younger in my classes and I mean what I found is that you just grow with your peers and so for me to have all of these brass players around me who were advancing in auditions and just basically kicking ass it made me feel like I needed to be at that level and it really pushed me and it really got me there I think and really really just helped me to grow yeah and I I feel like a lot of people feel more motivated to work harder when they're in ensembles with people that are better than them yeah I think that's a, a major motivator I mean when when I started at my undergrad I felt that way and by the time I was leaving I felt the opposite so I think that's the general progression of things, though. Definitely. Yeah, when you're going through school. Yeah, it helps to be a bit stubborn because I, you know, I wanted to be there and I was going to do anything, anything to get there. Yeah, that's great. Did you ever feel like, and you know, this can be reaching back to when you were, were a kid as well. Did you ever feel like you were judged for your instrument based upon your gender? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, honestly, I I relate. I've heard a lot of women actually talk about how when they were younger, they didn't really pay much mind, and I relate to that a bit. I never really felt particularly like I shouldn't play the tuba. I mean, I I thought I thought that people thought it was special, but I never found that to be negative. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, especially when I got into the professional world you know it's there are not very many of us female tuba players especially Mm -hmm. but also all female brass and I mean you look around and you just notice that there isn't anyone like you and it it can feel hard sometimes I actually had an audition 
I think it was two years ago now, and I was so prepared for it. I had done, you know, all the work for the excerpts, and I had done even sort of like mental training, Don Green, like all this meditative, amazing stuff, and I felt so prepared. And then I got there, and I was in the warm-up room, and I just started to feel like so stressed out because it was just all men and I felt and I was also 19 at the time yeah and so I felt just like oh my goodness I should not be here and it was it wasn't a conscious thought but it was like a subconscious thing that made me so anxious and then I just completely bombed the audition and I really think that it's you know because I I even though I'm always in that situation I somehow I'm never fully prepared for how it feels. <laughs> yeah, know? I think we get a little a little sense of imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. Obviously, my instrument is male-dominated as well, but not so much as tuba is, but I think we can share in the experience of when, when we are in an ensemble, if we're the only one or we're auditioning for something, we, we do get that sense of, wait, should I be here right now? <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> we're, we're we're the only ones. We're sitting around people that are completely different from us. And I also think, yeah, the age thing has a major factor in it as well, especially if you're a young woman. I think people don't tend to take us as seriously as musicians as they should. Yeah, I mean, I I really have found that people people more often than not seem to be surprised when they, you know, either hear me play or see me do well. You know, they're like, "Oh, like oh, you know, I assume that you would be bad or something. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think it also has to do with a size thing. Like, I'm I'm five foot four. I'm not a very big human. And then, you know, <laughs> people, people hear me play and they're like, oh, we didn't expect you to, like, be able to play that loud or something, like, as if I'm, like, conquering some sort of massive beast. And, you know, yeah. they don't they don't say that to men, no matter how tiny they are. It's, right. it's, it's crazy that the perceptions are so different. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I do think, I think it's a big problem in orchestral spheres. Um, oh, yeah. Brass playing, I think that there's sort of, like, people are, people seem more and more okay with the idea of a female soloist. But, you know, when you go to play an excerpt that's powerful, it's like, uh, excuse me, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. mm -hmm. I think it's that that's the back row mentality. Yeah. The boys gang. Yeah, definitely. And I'm a band director now and I'm trying to combat that with with my kids. I have I have 11 trumpet players in my high school band and all of them are men. And I walked into that and I started questioning things. I was like, why? Why are there so many and why are they all men? And uh I started questioning, you know, how we're presenting instruments to kids when they are listening to the instruments for the first time before they sign up for band. And I found out that the same guy plays all the instruments for the kids and he's a professional trumpet player. So oh, he, no. <laughs> and, and he's a jazz guy. So he makes, you know, the trumpet sound big and powerful and, you know, manly and all these things. And so he makes the trumpet sound really, really good. And then, you know, every other instrument isn't his primary and he's not a he's not a band teacher so all these kids are getting this you know impression of trumpet and they're not they're not seeing another side to the instrument there and it's not a good representation of all of the instruments and that's why i i started that 
project where I was having people send in videos and I was making sure that there was male and female representation for every single instrument. So the kids don't have a choice. They're going to see it. <laughs> and that's why I asked you to make a video and things like that, because I think it's so important that boys and girls see that every instrument is on an equal playing field. It doesn't matter. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I think what you're doing is amazing. And I think that it all starts from the bottom, which is education. And yeah, yeah, I think I think it's just really awesome. Thanks. And, you know, I have a I have a female tuba player in my my high school band. And she is currently the only female in the back row entirely. So <laughs> so I feel like she feels she feels ostracized a lot. And so she doesn't play with as much confidence as I'd like her to. She's kind mm -hmm. of timid and it's because she's around all these really loud, abrasive boys all the time. And like my <laughs> trombone section, they're a bunch of, they're a bunch of little animals. I love them, but you know, trombone yeah. players. So. Yeah. Oh <laughs> so. yeah. Oh, I used to sit in youth orchestra in, in New Mexico and like literally not even talk to the trombone players because they would just be sitting on their video game things mm -hmm. and I didn't. I didn't know what that was and I was I just yeah I don't even remember their names <laughs> yeah they're they're the kids that would like throw spitballs and stuff so so she's <laughs> yeah. kind of become more reserved as the years have gone on because she kind of feels like an only so I've I've been trying to show her different female tuba players especially since now that we're in this whole time of quarantine I mean we can't really go anywhere so I've just been sending her stuff online because I'm trying to teach my children online and it's a great experience <laughs> but I'm trying to do that for her because I feel like she's just she needs to be a little more confident in who she is yeah and role models are everything <laughs> they really are yeah and, and if I can't be that for her I want to provide her with someone who can mm -hmm, absolutely after you left Colburn, you're currently a student at Curtis in your master's, correct? I'm actually pursuing a diploma. It's oh, okay, cool. sort of unspecified, just sort of, oh, you can go here, but they don't have a master's program for instrumentalists. Mm. Yeah. Is that a one-year or two-year program? It's a two-year program. Okay. So it's like a master's, but not a master's. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, it's like, I don't have to do anything, but I'm there. <laughs> you, you're there to play. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way to go, honestly. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. How has it, how has it been being a student at Curtis? It's been good. It's, it's surprisingly really different than Colburn, which is not something I was expecting because mm -hmm. they're both like tiny conservatories, but Curtis opposite of Colburn is much more young, much more swayed towards undergrads. And so I'm now in this position of being an older student. The trombones at Curtis are all 18. Um, <laughs> and so, and they're amazing. I mean, they can play, they can play just circles around so many people. It's been great. And the coolest thing about it for me is that I'm the only tuba student there. And so not only do I get sort of every opportunity to play but also I have two teachers who are only dedicated to me that's amazing <laughs> um, wow it's, yeah it's kind of unreal and I I mean it's just it's the craziest opportunity and I just feel extremely extremely lucky that I am being afforded it but yeah so my teachers are Craig Knox and Paul Krizwicki Craig is in the Pittsburgh Symphony and mm -hmm. Chris 
Paul Krizwicki is the former tubist with, for the Philadelphia Orchestra. So, and actually, Paul Krizwicki was Craig Knox's teacher at Curtis a number of years ago. Oh, so like, that's cute. Yeah, yeah, it's three generations, and I believe that I am their first female student, and they have been absolutely wow. amazing and so welcoming. And, you know, they pushed me in the best possible ways and have just really, really helped me. So, yeah. Have you, have you been able to get a lesson with Carol at all or play for her? Yeah, I've been, I've been seeing her every now and then. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to be respectful to my teachers and, and make sure that they're okay with me seeking out other, yeah, other lessons, but they're always really supportive. And yeah, I saw Carol probably twice this year. And it's, it's also just great to have her down the street in the orchestra and yeah. to get to hear that. And to just see a woman on exactly. stage playing my yeah. instrument. <laughs> I actually met Carol when I was in high school. Yeah, I went to orchestra festival in high school called Lucerne Music Center. And it, it's kind of by the Adirondacks, Albany area, like Saratoga, that side of New York State. And so the Philly Orchestra kind of had a residency there. And she came in and she did like a whole master class on breathing technique and things like that. Mm. And I remember the first time I saw her, she brought her tuba with her. And my first impression is this woman's wearing like eight inch stilettos and she just (laughs) stomps on the stage, total badass. I'm looking at her like, how is she going to play this tuba in those heels? And she has this like, there's probably a term for it and I don't know, but she's got this like belt attachment. Oh yeah. The term is a tuba belt. (laughs) Okay. The tuba belt. Okay, cool. (laughs) She's got her tuba belt and she just, you know, puts the tuba right on there and she just starts playing something for us. And I'm just sitting there like my, my jaws on the floor. (laughs) She was just so amazing. And she's just, yeah, she's just an icon, honestly. She is, she is. And I, I have always loved her, you know, her clothing choices because I think that's her way of, making her statement, you know, quietly, because I, yeah. you know, being, being in such a prominent position, she can't exactly go around shouting things, but you know, the heels definitely say a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, it was just, it was crazy to just hear from her and, and see her and all those things. And me growing up in school, there were always female tuba players in my ensembles. I mean, we all knew that was a male dominated instrument, but we still had a lot of a lot of girls choose to play tuba, but that was the first professional tuba player that was a female that I've ever met before. So that was pretty, pretty cool experience to learn some things from her. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. So another unfortunate thing that I heard that you were going to do, but COVID canceled was you were going to be touring with Sarah Brass this spring. How did that experience come about? Like how did did they reach out to you? Did you audition? Yeah, actually, it was so great. And like, probably, you know, the coolest connection that's happened to me is, you know, Mary Bowden, who's the trumpet player who founded that group and is love her. Yeah, (laughs) she messaged me on Instagram. And I was like, Oh, this is crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And she was like, she messaged me, I mean, a year ago, at least saying, do you want to come to Ohio with us in March? And actually, I did end up playing with them. It was right before COVID hit. And right oh. when everything yeah, right when everything was shutting down, 
I was in Ohio with them and we played one show in, I can't, I think it was Dayton at Wright okay. State University. Yeah. And, and that was the last thing that was happening on campus at Wright State before everything was canceled. Wow. Um, yeah, so it was definitely a, a funny introduction to the group. And our second concert of that tour got canceled. So we ended up just going to a nice dinner and hanging out in Akron after that. But yeah, it was pretty great. That's so crazy over Instagram. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think she had heard, she had been asking around for female tuba players because they they always need more subs on their roster. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think just down the grapevine, someone mentioned my name and she found me. So yeah. How was that experience like playing with them? It was it was crazy. I hadn't really thought about, you know, how weird and meaningful it would be to play with an all-female group. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had never done that before, and I've never been in a brass quintet that has more than one other woman, so... Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I mean, it was amazing, and they were super welcoming. We actually had a six-hour rehearsal the day I got there. And wow. I think they do that. Yeah, they do that with all their subs so that they like get them on board and are able to, you know, play the book down for the concert. And it was stressful. I'm not going to lie. It was stressful. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I I definitely wasn't perfect in that rehearsal. But they were so, so kind to me. And it was it was just really cool to play with women and to see these women who are older than me and just like really playing so phenomenally and and yeah it was also interesting to see how the group is received you know Mary definitely has to deal with some funny comments about the way that she's dressed after every concert and yeah but there are also people who come and buy her cds and so I, I just think it's a great it's a great way for the world to see like oh this is a thing and it sounds great <laughs> yeah so. That, that's such an incredible experience. That's so amazing. The first all-female brass group that I ever saw was the Monarch Brass. I went to the Midwest Clinic, which is in Chicago. And, you know, I heard of all these groups and I've obviously you know, watched their videos online and everything ever since I was probably fifth or sixth grade. But to see them live was so... Like, I got goosebumps just mm -hmm. because... I was talking to a trombonist in another interview and she was talking about the first time she saw Monarch Brass. She said that when she was watching an ensemble, especially if it's a, pro a professional orchestra, she's always looking for the women mm -hmm. and, and where they are. And that's what she spends the whole, you know, first part of the concert doing <laughs> instead of really listening to what's going on. And I admitted I kind of do the same thing too. I'm kind of like, are there any female brass players? Where are they? You know, because we're, we're looking for people that are like us that we can identify with and I remember the you know when I saw them live I wasn't thinking that at all I'm mm -hmm. just like this is a group of women and they sound totally badass like like Barbara yeah. Butler like whipped out a flugelhorn or something and she just started oh. killing it and I was like oh my god it's fine I'm just gonna start crying <laughs> yeah no I mean it's it's amazing and I've been sort of especially in the past couple weeks I don't even know what really sparked it but I've been extremely just curious and also <laughs> bothered by the fact that there are so many 
incredible female brass players in our history like yeah. not even just now but like people like barbara butler and susan slaughter and like all these incredible people who have been at this for so long and like the fact that you know we still have to talk about this is is so frustrating <laughs> when there are people that just in my opinion aren't represented enough as the legends that they are you know yeah and i heard a story about Susan Slaughter's audition at St. Louis and <laughs> the, the story goes and I heard this from someone so I'm not exactly sure if it's entirely true she walked into the room and she saw all of the men you know when it was time for an audition get up and go in the back room to like get coffee no wow because they were like oh this is a woman we don't want her and they got up and they walked out and I mean you know this is decades and decades and decades ago mm-hmm. but even then, it's really not that long ago when you think about it. And she she started to play, and the story goes that they obviously came back into the room when she started <laughs> to play, and they were like, "Holy shit, she's amazing!" And she ended up winning the job. Yeah, but she had to witness them leaving before she even got down to play, and I could not imagine how she felt when she saw that. Yeah, absolutely. It probably, I I bet it made her play even better though. Yeah, I'm one of those people that if, like, you anger me before I have to do something, then I'm just like, okay, well, now I'm going to do it 10 times better. But yeah. <laughs> but it's it's crazy to think of that, you know, we hear stories like that, and they may seem far-fetched on first glance, but they, they still happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've heard from a number of professionals things along the lines of, hey, if you make it to the final and it's you against a guy, the guy's going to win. So you better make sure that you're way better, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and yeah, like, it, I mean, the odds are not stacked in our favor, but people like mm-hmm. Susan and, and those legends, you know, remind us that we still can do it. Yeah. I feel like we have to almost work harder and overcompensate for our identity. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, that was something really meaningful to me. I had a lesson with Alan Bear when I was like 16 and he came to Interlochen and at the very end of my lesson he said, hey, like you're gonna have to work 10 times harder to succeed. (laughs) And he just said it like straight up and you know I actually really appreciated it because I appreciated him recognizing me and that I'm different and also just recognizing the reality you know not trying yeah, to straight with you yeah and it was and it actually was really motivational for me to to hear that from him because I was like okay I can do that I'm gonna do that I'll be 10 times better <laughs> yeah that's great that he had that conversation with you because that's reality and the unfortunate thing is when people go to audition for a major symphony orchestra unless there are some freak of nature they're going to pick the person that has more experience you know with a smaller orchestra regional orchestras and things like that and they you know solely build their resume but if those initial orchestras aren't giving women the equal opportunity to play then your lack of experience is going to affect you later on yeah no absolutely absolutely And I, something I've learned in the past year uh, that's been really important for me is to advocate for myself. (laughs) 
And I've sort of realized that I can because I'm I'm in a position now where I can be like, hey, I can play like you need to listen to me. And that happened in the past year. There was a private audition and I wasn't invited to it. And I kept hearing about my friends being invited to it, people who I went to school with, people who, you know, are on a similar level as I am, students at, at good schools, stuff like that. And I just kept hearing, oh, yeah, I got invited to this private audition. And, you know, I, I wasn't getting the invite. And so <laughs> I, I after a lot of deliberation and like, you know, I was terrified, obviously, I went to my teacher and I was like, hey, I want to go to this audition. I would really, really like to go to this audition. And I believe that I should be there. And he was like, you know what? I agree. <laughs> and he, he called them for me and I got invited and I ended up making the super final. So, you know, I, that was a really, really huge lesson for me in the past year. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think from introspective point, we don't like to talk about ourselves. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't no. want it. You don't want them to come across like you're bragging. But at the same time, if we're not advocating for ourselves, who else is going to? Yeah, nobody. Absolutely nobody. Even if you have, I mean, even if you have great teachers, some people just don't think of it, and some people also, you know, get wrapped up into the political aspect, and they think that they, you know, might get in trouble for for advocating for someone and. Yeah, I mean, I, it was just really huge for me to realize that not only I could do that, but also that I was right, <laughs> you know, it was just, it was really, really meaningful for me. So we are both in a Facebook group for female, trans and non-binary brass players. And um, that group developed recently and it's been an incredible resource for, for people to connect with each other and tell their stories and have a community where people are in different countries and across the United States and things like that. And people you may have never met before are, are sharing their experiences. And I noticed one of the posts that you put on there, you were trying to make a sort of a database, like a spreadsheet of professional female brass players for people. And I think that was just such a great idea for you to do that because I don't think there are really any sort of spreadsheets like that that I know of. Yeah, I mean, actually, I had a really wonderful talk. I had a, a Zoom call with the president of the International Women's Brass Conference, um, mm. Joanna Percy. Yeah. Um, and it was so great because I, I told her that I was interested in this stuff. And actually, my interest in it was born from seeing a post about two weeks ago from the International Women's Brass Conference, a woman called Connie Weldon. Mm -hmm. And she was a tuba player who was active around 1960 to 1990, I want to say. And she played with the Kansas City Symphony, Boston Pops. She was a teacher at University of Miami, prolific teacher. She taught, you know, Sam Palafian and Mike Roylance. And she played with the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra. And oh, I had wow. never heard of her. I had never heard of her. Isn't that amazing? That Yeah. It's crazy. It was, shocking i mean five years in conservatory and no one had and it's not their fault but no one had thought to tell me you know that like actually there there was this amazing woman that was like feared for how well she taught tuba players <laughs> and so, yeah i became i was just i was really stunned by seeing seeing that post and then i did some research about her and 
there's very little and she doesn't even have a wikipedia page so i'm actually working on building that for her <laughs> yeah she's um, like the nadia boulanger of tuba yeah no actually legitimately crazy and so yeah i started doing a bunch of research and yeah i'm kind of i have a couple of projects in the back of my mind of, of things I want to do to sort of honor the legacies of these women because they should have a place in our history, you know? Yeah. The International Women's Brass Conference is also an amazing resource for just keeping those women alive and right. keeping the conversations going and making sure that they're remembered in some capacity. Yeah. And I mean, the work that that organization does is really really amazing i mean you can there aren't sort of databases of these women but they do have newsletters from i think the past 25 years that the organization has been running and they they printed a newsletter twice a year for 25 years and it has stories upon stories of of these pioneering women and they also have all the awards that they give and i mean yeah it's just it's amazing and susan slaughter who created it honestly like her doing that was a really a really bold move and I'm sure that it wasn't that uh well received when she conceived of it oh I'm sure but she's she's been doing bold moves since the the dawn of time so yeah oh absolutely absolutely well I want to thank you for talking with me today and sharing your experiences and some awesome advice, I feel like, for for a lot of people who may feel like they don't have a community or resources to reach out to. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.